Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome into Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And today we are previewing the game against the Philadelphia Eagles and taking your mailbag questions. Now, as we record this, always good to put a timestamp on a podcast, Logan. You know, the on-demand medium of choice for audio, uh, audio files everywhere. But we're recording this around 11 o'clock Thursday morning, uh, which I mention only to say that the press conference from Carl Racine, the D.C. District Attorney General, has not happened yet. We have not gotten a response from Ron Rivera uh, in terms of when he speaks today about the just heinous statement that the organization put out that invoked Brian Robinson's shooting last night. Uh, And so we will talk about that a little bit uh, as there's been some more fallout already as we are recording a little bit later in the podcast in response to a mailbag question. Uh, However, we don't have like a ton on that right now because as we record this, it hasn't happened yet. With that said, uh, we will have full coverage on the Hoffman Show three to six each and every day on the Team 980. Obviously, by the time that you're hearing this, uh, we'll have already had the Thursday show, but we will have talked about it. So if you want to check the Hoffman Show podcast, Check that out, and we'll be talking about it again on Friday as well. Clinton Yates, by the way, will be in studio with me to break down everything that happens on that Thursday show. So do, do, if you missed it, go back and check the podcast. But, Logan, we will try to do what the players are doing, at least to start here, and that is focus on the best team in the NFL, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Commanders on Monday Night Football. First thing uh, on, on the game. How does Monday Night Football affect a team? Like, how, do, how does it affect the routine? Does it get, is it good? Do you get an extra day of rest? Is it bad because you get you out of rhythm? Is it kind of indifferent? Like, what's what's the Monday Night Football routine like as, a, as an NFL player? Yeah, Monday Night Football is like a fun a fun week, and it's just because you know you're like you're in the biggest game of the week. Like everyone talks about Sunday Night Football. Like Monday Night Football is where it's at. Like the whole nation's going to be watching, and you really want to. You know, everyone's talking about what they're going to wear, like how they're going to play, all that kind of stuff, and the energy is just different. It, it it's very akin to like a playoff game almost, you know, everyone's bringing their best coordinators are prepping. You get an extra day to kind of go over stuff, which is interesting this week because it's not really an advantage because Philadelphia is coming off the Thursday night game. So they have a ton of time to get ready for this. So that'll be really interesting to kind of see what they come out with, but it is, it's, it's a really cool experience as a player. One of the coolest experiences like, of my playing career, you know, because even when you're on, when you're on a team that's not doing great, like Monday night football, like, everyone's watching and so you can kind of change a narrative about a season like let's say for example i don't know that they go out the commanders go out and win this game all of a sudden like you know 
the perspective of the organization nationally changes. This perspective of, you know, Ron, where the team is at is different. And um, that's all off one game just because everyone's watching. So that, that's a really fun uh, opportunity for this team. Chance for Taylor Heineke to make some money potentially in the offseason, uh, whether here yep. or elsewhere, too. He goes out and has a, has a baller day, um, especially coming off the bad game. Like, you know, if everyone sees the good game, that could be enough to be like, hey, wasn't that that guy who played pretty well in that playoff game against Tampa? Like, what, maybe, maybe he's yeah. a free agent this offseason? Like, you, got, you yeah. got a chance to do that as a player. What do you do to, to, to kill the day, though? Because, like, when you play a 1 o'clock mm. game, you get up, you have breakfast, and it's like a big breakfast of some kind that, that's hopefully going to take you through, at the very least, the first half of the game where you, you fuel up again at halftime. Uh, but when you've got the entire day just waiting to play, like, how do you handle that? Yeah, so I would actually try to get up kind of early, like at the normal time and get outside and like get in the sun uh, for, you know, 30 or 40 minutes just to kind of wake the body up either before or after the meetings. Like you said, big breakfast. And then usually you have like a like a late lunch, you know, so making sure that that kind of fits because you're not going to eat again until like. 11:30. So making sure that you have enough food there to kind of take you through. Um, usually go for a walk, maybe review the playbook one more time. Just kind of make sure your body's awake and you're in your normal cycle. And then I would try to go back before the lunch and take a nap, um, just to kind of like you know build Almost up that restart reserve. the clock of the day. Correct. Yeah. So get 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 up, get my circadian rhythms right, and then go back and lay down after about you know an hour and a half, two hours take like a little 45 minute or pop up and then let that carry me hopefully through the fourth, fourth quarter. And then uh, the other thing is like the intra game nutrition is a little bit different, right? You, cause you gotta have like, you know, you usually have a snack right before you go out there or something at halftime just to kind of make sure that you're not starving. Cause like there were times where I'd screw that up and I was just like, so hungry, um, you know, midway through People the third quarter. People don't think quarter. about this stuff, but it's like, I mean, you're, it's, it's a couple hours worth of physical exertion. Like yeah. you have to fuel during the games. And it's not like a normal game, like where you're eating pretty, you know, like where like something like 90% of people will miss lunch. But here there's a potential you're missing kind of two meals. And so, yeah, like Monday night, any kind of late night game, that was always something that you're kind of, I'm, I would always just kind of go talk to the nutritionist, like, hey, do you have a recommendation? And, you know, there was a period of time when I was in San Francisco where they actually were buying special carbohydrates that you could eat before that were like i forget what it was called they were used by endurance runners so to uh, basically not sell by chance you know it was like uh it was something like that it was very it, similar yeah, slow slow release i remember they were yeah. popular for a while and uh and basically the idea was like not that it would uh you know give you more energy just to keep you from feeling hungry during the game and uh, i never really got into that i always preferred just to kind of snack on stuff throughout the game but yeah it, it is it's a different it's a different process and um, it's, uh, it's in terms of getting you out of your routine, that's something that shows up pretty consistently is like, you know, you got to kind of think about these different approaches to make sure that you're performing at your best on the day. Yeah, definitely. The other, the last like kind of other factor here is you're playing this team for the second time. Right. And so I, I'm curious, you know, we, we will have versions of this conversation specific to Dallas and New York when, uh, the commanders play them again, but for Philadelphia, uh, but also more generally, like you play a team a second time. How does that affect your, your approach? How does that affect the game plan? How does that affect everything? So in, in some way, I always enjoyed the second game a little bit better because you kind of knew you, you got your hands on somebody before you run around on somebody and you kind of knew what they like to do. You got to see it in real time and they got to see you. So some people don't like that, but I always like kind of having the, 
the data already stored. And, um, you know, this is a team you play a lot. You know, you played them twice last year. You played them twice the year before. And so, like, you have a good file on most of the people that are playing. Well, let's say they're running a new coverage. You get to see it real time. You get to see how they're kind of when they want to call it, all that kind of stuff. So, in some ways, it gives you the answers to the chest. But, like, to your point about that's how it is for me as a player. But then for the game plan, you got to kind of start thinking a little bit more analytically. So, this is where I think it's more challenging for coaches, right? It's like they were really successful at X in the first game. This is going to be our response. What is their gonna? What, what is their response to our response going to be? And then you start kind of playing this: what do they know? What do I know? Type of scenario to put your players in the team in the best position to be successful. So that's always a really interesting dynamic in the second game. Like Philly's changed a lot. We'll talk about this more in detail in a second. But they've changed a lot offensively in terms of their focus from the first time that they played us over the course of the last, um, you know, five weeks or whatever it is. So. Um, I think that that's something that's interesting. Do they kind of go back to that game plan that worked really well against the commanders the first time, or do they kind of stick with who they are at the moment and rely on that to beat them? So it, it, that, that's why that's where that dynamic becomes super interesting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. So when you look at Philadelphia, what's been the bigger change for them, offensively, defensively? And then let's start there. <clears throat> so let's, yeah, we'll start with the offense, and I think the offense, you know. I think the the first time they played and even the Minnesota game uh, and even the Detroit game, you know, so the first three games of the season, I think was defined or characterized by their ability to cultivate explosive plays on offense. And they were pushing the ball down the field a little bit more. And over the last five weeks, I feel like they've really kind of found who and what they want to be. And what I mean by that is they are, they're really leaning heavily into this RPO style offense. Like that is who they are. I made this comparison. Sam Fortier did an article um, and he, you know, we talked about it. And one of the things I said in there was just, they. it's like the modern version of the wing tee. It's just a, a running game that's designed to stress you and make sure that the defenders can't be right. And they understand who they are when they're in that package and how they beat multiple different coverages. And it's really quite a lot of fun to watch. And so they're able to cultivate explosive plays off of a three-yard pass because they understand versus man-to-man coverage, which they're getting more of because man-to-man gives you some answers versus RPO stuff that they can run a a pick route and get a guy wide open for a big gain or the quarterback can keep the football or they can hit like even a drift concept, like an abridged drift concept off of RPO action, which is something that um, I didn't see a ton the first time we played. They did it a, a little bit against Detroit, but not so much against us. So they want to live in that a little bit more. They're running the football a little bit more. They're getting in bigger personnel groupings. And do they still have the big playability? Yeah, like if you look at the Pittsburgh game, you know, um, A.J. Brown catches two fades over the corner there, or two goes over the corner. And so that's still a part of their offense, but those kind of deep crossing concepts that really hurt us in the first game, um, I don't think we'll be there in the same way. So that I think is uh, something interesting, an interesting change. And then their ability kind of when they, when they got to have it in these, in these situations to just say, we are going to run the football and there's nothing you can do to stop us has been really cool to watch. Like they just say, Hey, we're going to put this game in a four wheel drive and it's not. And and they know the OC seems to have a really good feel about when to do it. They'll go, they'll score, they'll score a touchdown. They'll be coming off a turnover or something like that. A quick change. You can tell the opposing defense is tired, and they're like, "We're just going to run the ball." And you just see the fatigue set in. It's like, it's like watching a snake suffocate a mouse. Like that's kind of what it looks like constrict around a mouse, and and the defense just doesn't have the juice 
to kind of beat the blocks, fight with that big physical offensive line, match the RPO stuff, and it's just a slow, methodical murdering of the defense. And then the other thing they've done, which I think is really interesting, is they've kind of perfected this this quarterback sneak thing, which has become very prevalent in the NFL, where they get in a tight formation, they line up the tight end right behind the quarterback, and they just push everybody forward, and they're able to steal possessions that way. So on these long 14, 15 play drives, oftentimes they're converting a couple fourth and shorts using this kind of cheat code. So so what, you, what you're telling me is they're efficient. They get the yardage that's there and then they, they do it again. And then all of a sudden they string together drives and they keep the ball and then they score. And and again, like that's a little bit different than wow, what you... Wow, it's so cool when offense works. <laughs> that's a little different maybe than what you'd expect from the first game, which was very big play driven is what I'm saying. Like right. they've become... A, efficiency is a good way to describe them. Yes, they can beat you deep. Yes, they can do all these different things, but man, like they are hyper efficient with the RPO stuff and they are good at running the football. And, uh, you know, we'll talk about Jalen Hurts here in a second, but that is, I think, who they want to be more now than ever. So Hurts on the year is completing 68% of his passes. He's got over 2,000 yards, uh, which puts him in a group with like five or six other guys. Uh, he's averaging eight and a half yards per completion, which is, or sorry, per attempt, which is, yeah, which is basically second in the league. Um, Jacob Eason, technically, uh, I guess he had, he had, uh, went three for five in one game and it was averaging 11.8, but of starters, uh, it's Tua at nine, two, and then Jalen is at eight, five ahead of Josh Allen at 8-1. So it gives you an idea of like there still are, I mean, what part of it is those early season numbers still carrying some weight as we're just midway through the season, but also they still can move the ball with chunks through the air. Um, and then he's got 12 and, touchdowns and two picks. Like they, they don't yeah. turn the ball over a ton. And then obviously their rushing attack is is fantastic. And, and that – is also predicated on Jalen. Um, you know their ability to create numbers mismatches. We talk about being plus one in the one in the run game all the time. Well, it's harder to be plus one when the quarterback has to be accounted for. Whether it's on you know a, a RPO fake uh, where he could run it and go the other way compared to where like you're trying to be strong in, in where you think the running play is going to go. Um, you know, obviously you have to be cognizant of not leaving massive gaps for him to throw in behind on slants and, and some of the RPO passes. Um, so whether it's read option, whether it's RPO, whether it's just straight quarterback runs, like they, that is still a part of their equation as well. Like there aren't a lot of teams running quarterback power, but you know, you, you're in an empty set and you think you're all, you're all good with whatever your defensive alignment is. They bring a tight end in motion. And all of a sudden you got an in motion lead blocker with Jalen, who's as good as any running back running behind him and and you're in a bad spot defensively and by the way you're probably in dime so you don't even have yeah. a good running personnel on the field so um there there's a reason they're undefeated and um I, it's it's interesting to to see now with this extra time too logan like do you think they use it to add even more to the repertoire yeah i mean i, I don't It'll be interesting to see what they do. I mean, that's why it's kind of fun to watch this game. I don't think so. I think they've got a formula that works. They've got answers. And, and they might add, add some wrinkles to their base play. But to kind of pin down on that yards per completion thing, I think the thing that jumps out when you watch the tape, it's not like they're, it's not like the air yardage traveled by the football is very high. It'd be interesting to see what his, um, mm. what his, um, what the air yardage on the throw is. Because they're able to cultivate big plays off of short stuff. 
like against Arizona, Dallas Goddard takes a screen 40 yards for a huge play, right? Um, Dallas Goddard or A.J. Brown catches a, a flat off an RPO and runs 20 yards for a touchdown. They are really efficient. They're very tight with their stuff. And again, they have answers and it's all kind of off the run game. And they, you know, everyone talks about his completion percentage. They're not putting him in super high leverage situations a lot. It's not like watching Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or, you know, any of these kind of big arm, big name quarterbacks. It's a little bit different. It's it's built around, like you said, his ability to run the football, how that stresses defenses, how they can isolate elements of the defense and get their playmakers in space quickly, and they can maximize that. Now, is he? can he push the football down the field? 100%. Like, I'm not saying that's not who they – they don't have that ability. They definitely can do that, but their down-to-down process is more, is more conservative in terms of vertical passing attack than than I think than than it was versus us the first week. And they the reason one of the reasons they can do that is because Jalen on third down's been pretty good. Getting out of the pocket, getting off schedule, and then kind of hitting off schedule scrambling throws, much like Russell Wilson used to do. And then also scrambling for first downs, which has been like you mentioned the quarterback runs. They don't run him the way they did last year. It's still part of their offense. It's not the same emphasis. Right. You still have to account but, for it, which I think is important. Right. Um, but right. they might not do it as often. Right. And then the thing that's been absolutely murdering teams is third down. I think against, I forget, is it versus Arizona, maybe? Um, Arizona or Houston. He runs for two first downs that are third and 12 plus. You know, again, extending drives, allowing them to kind of get back to who they want to be on offense. So he he's for sure a weapon for them. He's a weapon on first and second down because the whole thing is built around him making quick decisions, getting the ball where it's supposed to go, running the ball if he has to, letting the big offensive line get great angles on double teams. And on third down, he's made enough plays that keeps you in games. So very, very interesting yeah. matchup there. But, but all I'm saying is that, like, the lens with which I see it is a little bit different than the first time where I'm like, man, like, they're really spreading it out. There's all this grass. They're doing all this stuff. I feel like they've kind of said, hey, we don't need to be that. We can be a little bit more conservative. Our, their defense is playing – out of this world well they're winning games with the defense so it's it's a very well-rounded football team um which is very unusual to see but i think it speaks to the fact they've got a rookie quarterback on his rookie deal and they've been able to kind of allocate all these resources elsewhere and build a very strong football right. team much like seattle with russell wilson right and it shows you the value of that um jalen was this his third second year third year no it's, thir- it's his third, third year overall third year, right? right so yeah, they, their window is running short on that in terms of they're gonna have to sign him to an extension i mean he was a second round pick so they, i guess he's extension eligible this offseason um but they have another year on his rookie deal if they want it um if i'm remembering that correctly um but that does show you exactly like they were able to go out and get aj brown and get all, so many of these guys darius slay and um james Bradbury, Bradbury on the defensive yeah. on the defensive side because they utilize the cap space they're not spending on quarterback. And that's, you know, I think when we get later in the season and we start to really have a legitimate Sam Howell conversation, if Howell were to play well, like that's the kind of thing. Or even if they draft someone in the first or second round next year, like the same same concept, you right. don't want to have to pay a Carson Wentz or even, a, you know, if you can get away with not even paying someone Taylor Heineke money, um, what it does to free up, say, the ability to re-sign Deron Payne. Um, nevertheless, yep. bring in other free agents as this franchise moves forward. Um, so I think I think it just is a great job of showing that value uh, that if you can get good play from a young quarterback on a rookie deal, it is the most valuable thing in the sport. 
Um, with that said, too, the last thing I want to talk about on the offense is just their playmakers who have continued mm. to be exceptional. And, and I think it's important to point out because the way teams are beating the commanders right now, uh, specifically like last week, Minnesota, it's the only team to get a win in the last couple of weeks uh, against this team. They did it because Justin Jefferson was just better than, you know, Benjamin St. Juice, right? Not that St. Juice played poorly. It's just Justin Jefferson's amazing. Yeah. AJ Brown's got some of that to him. And you saw it in the first yeah. game. Um, you know, that slant that he just bodies into the end zone, like those types of things where players make spectacular plays that beat good scheme, that beat good coverage, that beat good execution. It's just better execution. They have those kinds of players. And so I don't know what you can really do to limit that. You obviously, you want to make it as hard as possible and consistent, good execution will make it so that they don't run away. Cause if they make plays and you give them stuff, that's how Philly pits up 35 on you. You don't have a chance. But if you can make them earn it and make those drives be 15, like if you want to go on 15 play drives and you just beat us and then in the red zone, A.J. Brown makes a monster play, okay, you live with that. You tell your offense to go out there and, and try to keep up. Uh, but what you can't do is have the busts and those kinds of things. But it is worth pointing out, I think, that Philly is capable of just making the spectacular kind of play uh, that has – you know, unfortunately beating this team a couple of times because that's the NFL and these guys are good. Yeah, and, and to your point, I, I think they, yeah, like if you look at the Pittsburgh game, I think A.J. Brown has three touchdowns in that game, like doing yeah. absolutely Including my favorite, stuff. my favorite touchdown of the year, probably. The one where he catches it between the two guys and then he points and he's like, you and you are too small. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's a freak. He's a freak now. But I think if you look at Benjamin St. Juice in the matchup in the first game, he did an excellent job, man. He did a really, really nice job outside of the one touchdown. So I, in some ways, I think that Justin Jefferson is a more nuanced receiver and is quite frankly a better receiver. I think A.J. Brown is more in this like physical freak realm and relies on that a lot. And I think Benjamin St. Juice is a pretty physical freak in his own right. So I think I, I think that matchup fits itself well, and I think you said something that I, to me is the is the crux of the game if Washington has a chance to win because Philly, if you do not turn the ball over, does not score a lot of points. I mean, I think if you look at they they scored up 20, 29 against Houston, who may be the worst team in the NFL. Um, they put up thirty five against Pittsburgh because. Uh, Kenny Pickett threw three interceptions, right? They put up a whole bunch against Dallas because he threw a bunch of picks. If you look at the games that are close. Jacksonville, um, Arizona, it's like they're scoring 21, 24 points, and the defense is winning the game. So they're not going to outpace you in the same way that like a Kansas City will or a Buffalo can, at least in recent weeks. Like I said, they've been a little bit more conservative offensively. Don't know why that is, but they, they to their credit, it's been hyper-efficient and very good. The offense for this team needs to do something. They need to possess the football. They need to go on six, seven play drives. I don't care if you punt, but you need to switch the field position and you need to make them go the length of the field. Philly's totally capable of doing that, but you need to be effective offensively to be in this game. I think the defense is going to come and show out and do their thing, but there's no shot if on the first play, first drive, you go three and out. Because it to me, it just says, it sets the table for the expectation that the defense has to be perfect for the whole game, which is an unrealistic expectation. Yeah, let's talk about that next. <laughs> 